I'm Jim Ford. And I'm Dan Kurtzke. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 24. Episode 24. We got a lot to cover today, Dan. We do. Hey, you know how Blackest Night is that thing where, you know, where you, where you, you know, a black ring comes from deep space, and if it gets on a dead person, it'll reanimate them and all, like, zombie-like, and and then the living people have to deal with, with you know, the emotional trauma of having to confront their best friend or family member or worst enemy in zombie form now. Vaguely. Guess what Marvel's doing with the X-Men? <laughs> what? Have you heard about this? No. All right, this came out of San Diego, which, you know... That's forever ago now, but Marvel is coming up on a story called X-Men Necrotia. And the plot, as they've described it, is... Alright, you ready for this? Yeah. A virus comes from deep space, and if it gets on a dead person, it reanimates them zombie-like, and then the still-living people have to deal with the emotional trauma of facing down their their friends or family member or worse enemy in zombie form. Is this like, are they like Marvel zombies? No, this is like in the 616 main Marvel universe. I think it's, uh, they're, it's going to be in like three of the X books. I don't know how long it is. I think it's like from the article I read in Newsarama, they're, they're setting up kind of like Sinestro war where, you know, you could read Green Lantern and Green Lantern Corps, but they're really telling two different stories set in the same war. Well, like, you could read, you know, X-Factor or X-Force or whatever the three books are. You'd read each of those by themselves or together to get a bigger thing. But, yeah, it's it's not Marvel Zombies. And it's, I, I think... I'm trying to find the picture. But they had, a, like, this big shot of, like, the X-Men fighting all these uh, zombie-ish people, and they look... Um, Are you familiar with the character Warlock from, like, the New Mutants? Yes. You remember his, like, his virus that he had that he can infect people with? Like, it looks like that's what's animating these people. Okay. Oh. So, yeah. (laughs) That's... (laughs) That's, that's, uh, Marvel being... Being, uh... (laughs) Not even subtle at all, really. Yeah. Oh, man. The house that ran out of ideas? Haha, <laughs> I like it. Like, even this article is titled, like, like Marvel X Dead Shall Rise. <laughs> yeah. Although I will throw it out there, like, if anyone's listening that's a real big X fan, and, you know, you're definitely going to be reading Necrotia, definitely, like, write us or do something, because, like, I'd be interested to see, like, is this actually a good story on its own merit, or is this just blatantly, well, Marvel needs to have a Blackest Night equivalent? Yeah, yeah, that's... I don't know. That that just seems kind of sad. So, do you have any news that's happier? <laughs> oh. Actually, I do. Okay, well, actually, I have a bunch of news. Let's see. First off, by the time that everybody is listening to this episode, last Wednesday... Solomon Grundy number seven of seven will have come out, and if you didn't pick that up already, you're probably going to want to pick it up because it is a Blackest Night tie-in. I'm waiting for that trade. Oh, you're waiting for the trade on that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not even for issue seven. Not because you know what I'm. 
I don't want to have just... I'm trying to cut down on my issues. I made the conscious decision that, like, the number of comic boxes I have now, I'm not going above that number. I have capped myself, so I'm trying to cut back on random spending. And I, I kind of committed early on that, okay, I'll get betrayed. But I got I got the one issue because we wanted to talk about it here, but, you know. Right. Now I'm wondering if, if the trade's going to include that Superman-Batman issue, because, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, it should. Yeah, but go on, go on. No, that, that's basically it. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. I think that's the most, the comic that I'm most anticipating for this week. Man. And then he's, uh, well, the Superman-Batman issue I referenced, that's, that's also written and drawn by Scott Collins, who did, like, everything for the Grundy miniseries, too. Right. So, like, you could, like, it really shouldn't even be a question to, like, just jump right into that, because that issue has, you know, it, it presumably picks up from this miniseries, and Grundy is a big factor in it. So. So, the other news that I have, DC has made a change to the way that they're going to be giving out the different color core ranks. Originally, yeah, originally what was going to happen was you would buy the comic and or you would have to order all the comics for the month of November and then between November and January every two weeks they would be sending out a different rank. So it kind of led to a lot of logistical problems like, well, how do you tie the issue to the comic if somebody buys the comic and the ring's not coming for another few weeks? So they changed it so now that each ring that's tied to the issue is going to be shipping the same day as the comic. That's actually how I thought they were doing it originally. No, no, they actually, yeah, it was a lot more complicated. Because, I mean, it seems like such a no-brainer that, like, okay, if you want to order... I'm just throwing out random because I don't know. If you're going to order, you know, Rebels number 10... And that's the one that has like an orange ring attached to it. Well, then you're gonna you're gonna place in your minimum order, and they're going to send you the comics. And in that same box is going to be your art bag of orange rings that you can have at your store. Yeah, no, no, that's that's how it's going to be now. But originally, no. God, what's wrong with these people? That's so stupidly simple. Yeah. Uh, we had a question on our Facebook page, when were the green rings going to be doled out? And that is going to be November 25th, along with Blackest Night number 5. Oh, good. The only thing I didn't have for that one was the date. Cool. Right. So, I got that. And this information is all courtesy of BleedingCool.com. Just give them a little plug. And then the other information that I had, also kind of tied to the rings and the tie-ins, there's been, like, some speculation as far as why Adventure Comics number four was part of the, you know, the section of comics where you had to order a lot more than the other comics that kind of needed a little bit of boost. Yeah, like Booster Gold, you would order 25 copies, and you could order, like, 50 to 100 rings or so. Oh, they also up the amount of rings that you can order. So everybody's going to be able to get as many rings as they want, basically. Hmm. So Booster Gold, you only have to order 25 copies. Doom Patrol, Rebels, only 25 copies. But Adventure Comics number four, 
along with Justice League of America and Blackest Night, you have to order 50 copies. So everybody's wondering, okay, well, what's so special about Adventure Comics number four that you have to order so many more issues? And the reason is because they want the comic book stores to have ample copies of Adventure Comics number four because it's apparently going to be kind of like a Blackest Night five and a half. Kind of like the way Superman Beyond 3D was to Final Crisis. Hmm. It makes sense, because, I mean, Jeff Johns is writing that book, so... Right. Now, what I'm actually most surprised about in that, I mean... Like, to me, Adventure Comics being somehow more tied in makes sense. But what's what's up with Justice League of America? Like, why is that? Do we know why that one is is in there as well with the higher order numbers? Like, is that supposed to be a big deal too? I would imagine that it ha- it's probably going to be a bigger deal, but I think just because it's the Justice League of America and it is traditionally one of their best-selling comics. Hmm. Maybe. I mean, I have to, t- I have to tell you, I have my eye on Justice League right now because I-, I didn't know this until I was listening to uh, Comic Geek Speak last week or something. Right. I don't know when it was, but like... Apparently, like, next year is DC's 75th anniversary, and back when Dwayne McDuffie got basically fired from writing Justice League, right? he, like, he made some comment about how, you know, it stinks because there was going to be some, some Justice League-centric event in the coming year that he was going to be able, like his book was going to be one of the core books to it and this and that. And that just kind of stayed in the back of my mind. And then when I heard like, Oh, the company's anniversary is coming up. And I'm thinking about the fact that like, like, well, they're giving Aquaman a lot of screen time in blackest night too. So like maybe, Oh, maybe, maybe they're putting pieces in place for a huge justice league revival or huge justice league thing in 2010 yeah yeah i have no doubt that that's definitely going to happen uh like yeah like like you said with aquaman's role in blackest night number two which we'll get to later because you haven't given your thoughts on it yeah yeah like it's so prominent and they're really like seeming to amp him up in terms of character and powers i think you know they're, they're definitely making him, uh, you know, getting him prepped for a comeback. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, I'm I'm glad to hear that they're actually... I, I mean, it sounds now like people might have a better shot of getting these rings, which, you know, that's... At the end of the day, that's what I want to have happen, so... Yeah, no, definitely. And that Adventure Comics number four comes with the blue ring. So that's going to be something that a lot of people are going to want as well. I'm still so... I really want to see how this plays. Actually, I'll be able to see soon. And by the time it's there, people will probably already know, you know, how this is going to work through, like, DCBS and, and stuff like that. Like, will it be as simple as, oh, I ordered an issue of Avenger Comics. That means um, there's going to be a blue ring in my box. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so just if you are ordering comics through DCBS and... You weren't planning on getting Adventure Comics number four because you weren't sure of how well it was going to tie in to Blackest Night. Definitely pick it up. Definitely, definitely pick it up. 
Yeah, plus it doesn't hurt that it's a really great book all by itself anyway. Right. So the next order of business for news is a link that we have right now on our Facebook page. It's for another Facebook group called People for the Production of a Green Lantern Documentary, PPGLD. Gotta love anagrams. Is that an anagram? Acronyms. Acronym. Anagrams. (laughs) Is that the one where you rearrange letters to make a new word? Yes. Yeah. Well, I like them, too. They're good. Good job. Um, (laughs) Yeah. An educational show. (laughs) Yeah. What these guys are doing is they're kind of like just trying to bring awareness and trying to get a Green Lantern documentary made for when they put out the Green Lantern movie on DVD. Their idea is that every Smallville season and every DVD that DC has put out has gotten a character documentary in the special features. But there was nothing on the Green Lantern First Flight animation. So, you know, it's like, it's a good idea. And as Green Lantern fans, this is definitely something that, you know, we would get a lot out of. Typically speaking, they interview the creators and people associated with the comic throughout the past or the the animations or whatever. So if you go to our Facebook page and, first off, become a fan of us on Facebook. We're we're (laughs) trying to really promote our Facebook page. But if you are a, a fan of us on Facebook, then check out the link for People for the Production of a Green Lantern Documentary and, you know... Read it, check it out. They have some links and some phone numbers as far as sending letters to try and request the documentary. And it's good for Green Lantern fans, and that's why we are promoting it. Yeah, and I was actually surprised that there wasn't a a little documentary piece in the back of First Flight. Because, I mean, I got... I don't usually buy DVDs online, but I had, like, a gift card, so I did it. I didn't feel like leaving the house. And I figured, like, okay, they just they just don't have the special edition. Because they had, like, like the regular DVD and the Blu-ray. And I don't have a Blu-ray player, so I ignored that. So I figure, okay, the special edition of the DVD where it's, like, two discs or whatever, and it has, like, all this extra stuff. Because I, I was thinking back to their past movies, and they, they usually put not only documentaries, but... Um, episodes of Justice League that pertain to it and what and whatnot. So I figured, all right, they just don't happen to have that available on this particular website that I have the gift card for. So I just got with a standard version. But I always assumed that there was a version flowing around out there that did have some kind of documentary on it. And I, I, just, I just find it really surprising that it doesn't. Exactly. So that's why people got to go check out this Facebook page. It's it's really it's kind of too long to go into what the name is, so we'll throw a link up on the website also. But uh, you could also find it right through our Facebook page. Yeah, and they have discussion topics and the like, and they actually I read it earlier, and they have um they excitedly announced DC's phone number and mailing address, but it's, it's public record anyway, so it's okay. Nice. Okay, so shall we take our first break? Let's take it and not give it back. Awesome. Be back in a couple.
Hi, my name's Mike. Join me and my brother-in-law, Rich, as we discuss DC's comic book, The Flash, on our podcast entitled Flashback. It's located at flashbackpodcast.podbean.com. That's flashbackpodcast.podbean.com. Hi, everybody, and we're back. And Dan is going to give us a recap of Green Lantern Corps 39. Yeah, this is this is a pretty quick one. I mean, it's it's essentially an issues an issue long look at the you know four page sequence from Blackest Night number one. Guy and Kyle on their way back to Oa from Earth. They just came from the uh, the day of mourning. They run into Saranic Natu and her partner Ilaid on the way, and then the bl- the swarm of black rings hit them. You know, they try and delay the rings for, or block them with a shield, but that doesn't work. They rally the lanterns at the central battery, and but you know the rings manage to breach the crypt. No matter what Morrow and his little his little Lockheed dragons do, they just can't stop the black rings from taking hosts. And then you know the dead lanterns rise, and Kyle's Kyle's confronted by Jade on the last page here, and you know. Spread out through here, you get we have like a couple little vignettes of uh, Aresia helping a now a now uh, saved Daxum rebuild until she like she storms off in disgust at how like just utterly racist these people are against everyone that's not from their own planet, and we get a nice little nice little vignette of Mongo who proves me right as he has taken. Sinestro's homeworld of Karagar as the new base camp for the Sinestro Corps, which he is, which he is renaming the Mongol Corps, which I'm actually surprised that didn't happen sooner. Yes. So, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, like, because Green Lantern Corps, as much as I love it, it can, it, re- it really does kind of ebb and flow at times in terms of quality overall, and like, it felt like most of this issue we didn't really need. Because I mean, like we—it's basically just like like I said at the beginning. It's just a longer version of exactly what we saw in Blackest Night One, with the exception of the vignettes on uh, Daxum and Korrigar. I think I I kind of disagree because I think this is the kind of issue where they kind of give a like an epilogue to the uh, Emerald Eclipse. And they kind of like close everything up and get it ready just in time for Blackest Night. I think that's basically the point of this issue. And like you know, we do get like some some important pieces of information here. Like Kyle actually lies to Ceranic, saying that he saw her when in fact he saw Jade. That's right. I forgot Miri's, about that. Yeah, Mary's Sapphire. I, that's that's huge. That's enormous. And I like the little visual detail when they're when the four of them are flying along. Uh, the page right after that, the middle panel, where like, you know, Guy and and uh, Iolade are just kind of exchanging glances, and they both like they're just kind of showing signaling to each other, like, yeah, yeah, we know those two, with those two are together, yeah. Well, yeah, that's like with the little angel and the K and the S. Yeah, and she's pointing at them, and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, the title page on here, the splash page of all four of them getting just swarmed with rings, that's just, it's a really nice looking, 
like both Green Lantern and Green Lantern Corps for the last two issues each have been delivering like really fantastic splash pages, either at the beginning or the end of the issues. Like doubles page spreads, I should say. Yeah. Yeah, I this is this is great. You know, this is one of those things where it doesn't happen very often, but like the way that they have the black rings with like the white energy, this page almost seems to kind of glow. Yeah, yeah. And it's so weird because there's so much, there's so many different light sources going on here. It's and they don't seem to really like work against each other. Um, then we got the uh, the Daxum situation. We finally have a follow up that you were looking for. Oh yeah, that he's not dead. <laughs> we don't think. Well, just not not only that, but like you know, kind of like what happens after the Sinestro Corps leaves. You know, because they kind of just like gave you like three pages or whatever. Two. Yeah, two pages then. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody was touchy about that, but yeah, yeah. Basically, we see that these guys are a bunch of jerks, and uh, now we don't want to see them saved. We wish that they were destroyed. Yeah, I'm just, I'm really, I am still curious to see what happens with these people. I mean. I, I, I stand by, like, yeah, they do want to just stay on their own world, but, you know, with the kind of power they have now, how long before they start taking the approach of, well, the best way for us to to keep aliens from coming to us is to get rid of the aliens before they get the idea? Because, I mean, this, is, this planet is one of the most potentially dangerous places in the universe now. Because it's basically... What if Superman was a racist and there were millions of him? Um, then we have Crib's uh, home planet, where you have a whole bunch of babies that are just kind of crying out for their mama. The, the thing that I thought was a little odd is that it's an unknown planet in Sector 3599. I don't think that's necessarily her home. Like, I think... Because isn't the whole surface of that planet supposed to be like a nursery? Where she just sticks kids in cages? I think basically. It's just, you know, it's it's odd. Like, for one thing, it's Sector 3599. So, like, right at the border of, you know, like the one of the last couple of sectors. And the fact that they say that it's an unknown planet, that typically has some sort of meaning. Maybe somebody's from there, or maybe something's going to be found there, or... Perhaps. We have Mongol on Korrigar. Yep, you didn't think it was going to happen. Uh, you know, I, I, after you said it, I was open to the possibility, but I was kind of, you know, hoping to see him go back to the Mother Mercy planet. But, uh, no, this is cool. And there's the whole swarm of the Black Rings. I like the effect that uh guy is just kind of, like, blazing over with rage. Yeah, that was nice. Whereas Kyle and Kilowog were, you know, they were all green regardless. And then, yeah, they get swarmed by Black Lanterns, and Kyle gets attacked by Jade. Yeah. Now, something I I was going to touch on eventually anyway, but every creative team has really been kind of kind of dancing around has seemed to be whether or not the Black Rings can do anything, like, superpower-wise, you know? Right. So, when I saw, you know, Black Lantern Jade, she she grabs Kyle in a big black energy hand. 
at the bottom panel of the spread here. And at first I thought, well, wait, does this mean the rings can make constructs? But then I thought, well, wait, if it's her with her, you know, her natural powers, maybe they're just showing up as black because she's dead or whatever. But there are, I think, at least two other instances I've seen here where, yeah, they are producing, like, at least small constructs. So, like, I, I don't know if it's something that they just, that Jeff Johns just hasn't clearly laid out for everybody. No, he def- he hasn't. And, like, the reason for that, I think, is because of the fact that it's kind of like a horror story. You want to give as few details as possible to keep people wondering, and that's what's going to keep them scared. Oh, yeah, no, I, I'm not talking about on a fan level. I mean, like, like do other... Like, do people who are writing the tie-in books know? Because, I mean, like, and this really isn't a spoiler or anything, but, like, in Blackest Night Batman, number one, you see the original Ventriloquist, he's back, and he's generating a black energy Scarface puppet. And then, like, we'll see in a later issue, somebody grabs a heart with a a black energy hand. Right. So I'm like, oh, okay. Because it seems like if the writers of the various books knew concrete, yes, they can make constructs, we would have been seeing it a lot more. Because, I mean, it's it's because everybody we've seen so far has just been using whatever natural powers they had before dying. So I thought that was a little odd. Like, all right, do they not really know if they're supposed to be able to... So they just don't write it that way, or they write it a little bit, or or maybe I'm just overthinking the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I think we should basically just kind of, like, shelve that idea for now. Yeah. And wait and see. Something I think would be cool, though, is if uh, to go with the whole communal pool theory, if, um, if that's the power source the Black Rings have to draw from to do stuff, like... So, like, yeah, you can shoot a beam of, like, death, whatever, at someone from your ring, but then your per- the per- percentage of the pool is going to go down very slightly. So you have to, like, kind of make a judgment call, and maybe that's why people with their own natural powers are being chosen. So they can build it up faster as opposed to depleting it. Well, we'll see, but... And as we'll get to in one of the next couple of issues... Um, when they they use a black construct to rip out a heart. So, like, you know, would that basically just, like, break even, or how would that work? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I imagine, like, because, I mean, really, how much energy do you use up in a Green Lantern ring when you're just making a simple construct? So, I mean, it's like you might be using, like, a little speck of power, but you're taking in a lump of power, you know? Possibly. Well, before, two thing, two last things really quick. On the page where they're all surrounded by the dead. Right. Uh, look on the... Who's the most prominent Black Lantern on the left side? Other than Buzzed. And this is a two-page spread before the last page. Um, Do you recognize him? No. Last time we saw him, he was wearing a diaper. Oh my god, no way! <laughs> yeah. I don't remember his name, though. <laughs> oh, my God. He was from that uh that old Tales of the Green Lantern Corps series from the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. <laughs> he was like the, uh, the little monkey dude that was leading Necron's army. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. 
he was dead. They made him an honorary Green Lantern, and then he just kind of faded away again. Yeah. Oh, my God. You know, like, I was looking at him like, well, that's really weird looking. I don't know who that is. Oh, man. I'm glad the diaper reminded you. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah, the only other thing I want to point out, when when you you have the scene where the rings are just first taken, these people, and uh, Mar- uh, Morrow? Yeah, Morrow is trying to stop it. That one panel where his little purple dragon is trying to stop a ring from getting in. He's just like, he has it in his mouth. He's trying to pull it out of the of the coffin. That That's just great. I love that. <laughs> it's so adorable. It's like, his, it's like the pet's trying to help him out. Good space dragon. Good space dragon. Okie doke. Now for Green Lantern number 44. Oh, and, well, we should probably take a second to, uh, yeah, point out that like you had said, Green Lantern Corps number 39 takes place, like, basically between the beginning and middle of Blackest Night number one. Yeah, like, if you re- if you read Blackest Night number one, that scene where, that basically the only scene in there that takes place on Oa, that's this. It's that and slightly before that. And Green Lantern number 44 takes place... I guess between Blackest Night number one and Blackest Night number two. Oh yeah, and like this, the last page of this goes directly into like the first page of Blackest Night number two. Frankly, I was amazed at how like seamless the transition was. I was really pleased with that. Let's see, Green Lantern number forty-five. Well, that obviously comes right after forty-four. No way. But uh, aside from that, I don't think we really know. Oh well, actually. Well, it's, it's definitely after Blackest Night 1. Oh, my God. It's like, this is really far in there. Because the power levels of the Black Lantern is up to 45.43%. Yeah, they're almost full. Yeah. So that's like, uh, that's going to be at least Blackest Night number 3. This might actually take place afterwards. Yeah, because what's... Do we have, um... I'm thumbing through 44 right now to see if there's any power levels given, but I don't think there are. Yeah, there's not. But in Blackest Night 1, they're all like, you know, you know, point one and point two kind of thing. Right. Point Or point zero one, point zero two. So it's a huge jump. Right. Okay. So for Green Lantern number 44, um, yeah, basically this entire issue is a fight between the Martian Manhunter as a Black Lantern and Barry and Hal. He's using his uh, mental powers to kind of mess them up. He's using his incredible strength and uh, he basically tosses them around quite a bit. Then you also get a little bit of Scar, the the Scarred Guardian, kind of like telling the other Guardians why she's doing what she's doing. And it's basically the whole, you know, oh, I'm looking for order. The best way to go about finding order is to kill everything. Yeah, we get this vignette from, uh, it's got, you know, a quick glimpse of Yasmol, a quick glimpse of Okara, and a quick glimpse of Zamoran, just to show us what's going on there. And back to the fight between Barry, and now it's actually Barry fighting Hal, because Martian Manhunter is kind of messing with their heads. 
and this issue closes with John Stewart in the broken up planet of Zanshi. And all of a sudden, Black Lantern rings just kind of start raining down from space. And it's like calling the planet Zanshi itself to rise. And that's it. Uh, actually, on that two pages of the vignettes, they do give power levels. So as of this issue, the highest reading they have is 1.20%. Right. So they, they're busy. They're busy. Um, you know, some, the first thing that hit me as I started reading this issue is how, like, how really good and appropriate it is that Doug Monkey, who drew this, also drew Final Crisis Requiem, which was, you know, John's death and funeral issue. So it's, it's a really nice, like, it, there's a really good float there. So you, you could read that and then read this, and it's, it's visually exactly, almost exactly the same. It's great. Which, and that was a really good issue all by itself, too, so I'd definitely recommend finding it. You know, I actually got that. That was one of the few tie-ins that I got, and yes, that was enjoyable. I forgot that that was drawn by Doug Monkey also. Now, these, like, when, there, there's, there's two points in this issue where, you know, Jean is getting into Barry and Hal's heads, and when it happens, they have this, like what I've what I've start to call death sliver show up across their faces where it's like like this like almost lightning bolt of decayed flesh. It's it's almost like the way light would reflect off of you if it hit you, but it's just it looks dead. And I'm not sure if like is that supposed to be a visual indicator that someone dead is in their minds or is it a reaction they're having to the fact that okay. There's a black ring here, and we are dead people that came back. I, we have absolutely no way of knowing, but if I was to guess, I would say it's because Martian Manhunter is in their head. I think that's, like, the visual that they're trying to use to convey that. Yeah, and that works for me. Uh, I love the little exchange they have about protecting identities and how, you know, because uh, they're standing over Batman's grave, and... They're trying to figure out, all right, who the hell would even know that Bruce Wayne is Batman to rob his grave? Barry still makes a comment of, you know, you really should try and hide your identity some more. He makes reference to how Kyle's smart because he his mask covers half his face. Yeah. And and Hal fires back with, yeah, well, Clark wears glasses. Shut up. Clark slouches, wears clothes two sizes too big, and raises his voice an octave. I like that. Yeah, I really like that. It speaks to Barry's personality, too, because, I mean, and one thing that Jeff Johns really wants to explore with Barry Allen is the fact that he's a criminal invest. He's a, he's a forensic scientist. He is a CSI, but he's only ever been written in an age where, you know, nobody really knew what that was. Whereas today, you say, you say, a uh, criminalist to someone, and they just, just, you know, they know exactly what you're talking about. So, you know, Barry's approach to it, to Clark's disguise is very, like, like, it's analytical. He broke it down and understood it, whereas Hal's just kind of, yeah, whatever, I'll be fine. Yeah. What uh, what did you think of the fact that uh, Barry gets shown in two colors in this issue as hope and fear? Instance by instance, I thought, like... Because, all right, up until now, when we've seen Barry and Hal together, Barry's been dealing with the fact that, you know, all of these people... I was friends with have died since I've been gone and I'm back and they're not. 
Meanwhile, he died and came back. Hal died and came back. And that he's he found out just recently that Jean died. And now all of a sudden they turn around. Here's Martian Manhunter. And I gotta think if I'm Barry, the first thing that's going through my head is, oh my god, I hope that this is him back too. Like I think he really wants he really wants his friend to be back just like him and Hal are. Okay. So I think that that hope reading was a reaction to, you know, please let this be really be Martian Manhunter back from the dead. Oh, I see what you're about to say. And the instance where he feels fear is because, you know, Marsh, uh, John John says, how would it make you feel to leave Iris and Wally behind again? Yeah, because now not only is his friend turning on him, like, his, the, obviously some of this, this is not right. John should not be fighting us. And he's filling Barry's mind with this terrible... Because, I mean, the flashes are all about family. And what's more pain... Like, what would your biggest fear be? Losing your family or being forced to not have them anymore. Whereas with Hal Jordan, you know... I mean, he's he is all willpower. Like, he's shown... He's shown the same kind of terrible things that Barry is, and he still remains willpower because that's what he's all about. This this issue is interesting because we learn that the Guardians are not dead yet. They're just kind of asleep. Yeah. Scar's gooey vomit gets grosser every time I see it. Uh, I like the fact that, uh, you know, just like with Aquaman, they're taking the opportunity to show how badass Martian Manhunter is. Because, I mean, first, he's beating the crap out of Green Lantern and Flash at the same time using just... Just his invisibility and a little bit of telepathy. And then he just up and throws a fire station across the street. <laughs> I mean, this is, like, actually, like... Because I'm one of the people that... Well, I should say, like, like the whole line in here, I'm as powerful as Superman, why does everyone forget that? That is a direct, like, at-the-fans kind of line. And at-the-creators kind of line. Because, like, every time you ever see Martian Manhunter in a story... He's always, like, really passive about everything. He tries to step in and handle the situation, but, you know, somebody has a match, and he's near death. The end. And it it, it always happens every single time. And it's gotten to a point where, like, I don't think there are a lot of people out there that really, com- that really comprehend just how powerful he is supposed to be, because he always takes gets taken out so ridiculously easily. Yeah, well, I mean... If he didn't have such an easy weakness to exploit, then then where would we be? We'd have Martian Manhunter who could just go in and wipe out anything. He's he's like basically got every power that Superman has and then a few more. And I mean Superman, like, you know, it's bad enough how many powers he has makes it very difficult for writers to to write a near omnipotent type character. At least Superman is vulnerable to magic, he's vulnerable to kryptonite, he's vulnerable to other kryptonians. You know, like, if if Martian Manhunter didn't have something that basically anybody could create, then, like, he'd be able to get away with anything all the time, forever. Yeah, that's when, that's when the character itself becomes, like, the real, the real focus. Because, I mean, as I see him, John Jones is a, is basically a pacifist. Because, I mean, he, 
like you say, he has the power to pretty much go anywhere he wants, anytime he wants, and do anything he wants. But it's his personality that keeps him from doing that. And I, th- I think, like, as long as you write him... If, if, if you have a writer that really understands his character, who really gets him and how his mind works, then I think you can have him... Like, you you wouldn't have to fo- to use the fire thing as a crutch, you know? Mm. I don't know. I'll be honest, I'm not a huge fan of the Martian Manhunter because of the fact that he's, like, so strong. But he loves Oreos! <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, anything else for issue 44? Well, like I said, I love how the end of this issue dovetails directly into Blackest Night 2, where, I mean, like, Jean throws Hal up in the sky. You see the bat signal in the in the sky above him, and actually you see it below him on the the next panel. And then how's Blackest Night 2 start? Well, he lands on the bat signal on the roof. And Barry gets thrown into the chemicals, and where do you see Barry next? Well, he's running around on top of the chemicals fighting Jean. I thought that was really great. And I think I think the whole Zanchi thing... That that two-page spread at the end, that is the most beautiful piece of art in this issue. That is an awesome two-page spread. It's also the most thought-provoking, I think, because, like, first of all, I was not expecting this. Even though I threw out the idea before, like, oh, what if Krypton, the entire planet, came back? But I I, I really wasn't sure where they could go with this, because, I mean, like, what the hell is, is the ring, are these rings going to go on? There's just rocks out here, which, you know... We'll, we'll jump into that in a moment, but, like, right. I'm like, what the hell? What's going to... Is the entire population of this planet coming back? But, but yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I really liked this issue. Yeah, I... I, I, I could have kind of saw it coming. Like, I don't, I don't even remember if I mentioned it on the, the show, but I, I definitely foresaw this as a possibility just because they kept on saying, you know, they kept on referring to how it was a dead planet. Yeah. You know, and everything was dead about it. And they keep showing the debris field. I mean, it, it's it's good. It's cool for the fact that you could have, if you bring back Zanshi, then now all of a sudden you have something to go up against Mogo. So you have it from that that point of view. But seeing this, like, it, you're right. It could have gone one of two ways. It could have been the planet itself coming back to life, which was the more likely candidate because it was just this one big giant rise but then it could have been that the rings were going into, like, these asteroids or whatever and, like, trying to find anybody that was buried within them. Like, remains and stuff. Right. Although if the planet exploded, I don't know. Uh, one thing, one last thing before I forget, before we move on. What did you think of Doug Monkey's art overall in this issue? I, I'm liking it basically right across the board. I'm definitely liking it. Because I thought, like, I'm, the Black Hand issue that came right before this, I thought was flawless. But this this one, like, I liked it, but, like, there, was, there were three instances where I thought, like, okay, that's... Oh, oh okay. <laughs> like, the title page, where it's Hal and Barry together. Okay. That right there, that looks so, like... I don't know, that looks weird. Like, their faces look weird, and their body language is weird. I don't know what how else to describe it. Like, they don't look like that in the rest of this issue, you know? Yeah, no, you're right. And not to, not to mention, like, 
Hal's stance at seeing Bruce's, like, you know, dug-up grave is kind of odd when you think about it. And Barry is looking directly at me. <laughs> it's like he's telling me, they took Bruce's skull. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh my god, should I call somebody? <laughs> what were some of the other uh, instances? The second one was, um, you know, when, when Jean has Hal up in the air, and... Like it's it's the top panel of a page where um where Barry like runs up that ramp to knock him out of John's grip. Just I don't know something about that oh. pose they did looks so like Barry running taking off up onto the air like he looks so awkward. Like I I don't know how it should have looked but it just looks so awkward that way. Yeah, yeah. Like maybe if you if you had seen his feet more in like a blur. Or if his body had been angled a different way, or... Yeah, yeah, that's... that is kind of odd. I'm trying to think, like, should he have been turned forward a little more, like, with his his feet behind him, but... I don't know, if he was running that... I, I don't I don't know, it just looked weird. And and the whole, <laughs> like, the, the two-page splash of the vignettes, that was odd to me. Like, I don't, did, I don't know if it had a different inker or something for these two pages, or... But it's... I liked it. I, I definitely liked this page. I think Larfleys Larfleys definitely looked odd in this this scene. Yeah, the yeah Larfleys in this panel is terrible. But like the the Anya Small, you know that that panel right there is beautiful. Um, aside from Larfleys' face, everything else about that panel is great. And you know the Zamoran scene, like you know I, I guess the Zamoran scene is okay. But the rings going to Zamoran is awesome looking. Yeah, oh yeah, that's good. I feel like there's certain alien characters that I don't want to see Doug Monkey draw. Because when he draws them, they look like really creepy aliens. Like, Tomari in this thing, he should look friendlier than that, you know? <laughs> and, you know, it's a, we don't see him in this issue, but in the next issue there's a shot of uh, Saint Walker. And Saint Walker looks like, like Tomari looks just creepy. Like, he doesn't look friendly at all, you know? The scene where, uh, John Johns tosses the, the building, that, that's, that's an awesomely drawn scene. Oh, yeah. And, let's see. And the page where, like, Barry is feeling fear and Hal is, uh, showing Will as Martian Man, as John Johns is kind of like, you know, making them think about what they would most likely fear or whatever. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Yeah, they're getting a lot of mileage out of, uh, you know, Photoshop lens effects in these books now, and, like, it, it's it's working for them. It's weird. It's working for them. Okay, so on to issue 45. Oh, yes. I'll do the recap of this one. Go for it. Okay. So, starts out... Zanshi, the planet, is brought back as a Black Lantern planet. Answers the question we had as far as the end of issue 44. Mm-hmm. Then we have a major battle between the Star Sapphires and the Sinestro Corps. We see that Carol is fighting the ring's control. She doesn't want to go on autopilot. A lot of uh, a bunch of the Sinestro Corps members that were trapped in the Star Sapphire chambers for, I guess, re-education or whatever, are breaking free. Then we have a quick vignette on Ysmalt 
the Alpha Lanterns are trying to get Lara's body, but Boudica is kind of like just trying to kill everybody. She won't leave. <laughs> yeah. And then, just as it so happens, the Black Ring is kind of like rained down on that planet. One goes to Lara, and four go to the other four inversions that Atrocitus killed. Uh, then we have, back on Zamoron, Carol kind of traps Sinestro in one of her Star Sapphire chambers also to try and convert him, make him focus on his lost love, and we'll get to that in a second. But uh, she fails, breaks free, and just as they're going to basically wipe Carol out, she's kind of saved by the cavalry, but in this <laughs> case, the cavalry is Black Lantern, former Yellow Lanterns, former Sinestro Corps members. So then we go to Odom, where we see all the orange lantern constructs still battling the blue lanterns. And it turns out that what they've actually been trying to do all this time is steal the entire blue lantern battery. Yeah. Saeed and Gambit, they are not really able to do anything about it. And back on Okara, Larflees is watching all of this. And as he's watching, the Black Rings come in and start resurrecting orange lanterns that have died. So we got this awesome visual of uh, all these Black Lanterns kind of like about to go after Larflees. And then we close on a quick little scene kind of showing Scar talking to her mysterious benefactor. And uh, he's asking, what of the seventh light? meaning indigo, and Scar replies, as soon as its bearers shine the indigo light, it will be ours. Now, since we've already started talking about it, and since it's at the very beginning, yeah, so Zanshi is back. <laughs> and this... Like, I, I did not... Like, I, 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 re I really like this. Because I didn't expect the rings to, like, literally go into the cell and start moving that around. But it did, and then it got this, like, black oozy framework pulling it together until it became this, literally, like Mogo. It's a giant planet with a giant emblem on it. And, which leads you, which leads you to wonder, like, okay, is this going to be like Mogo, where the planet itself is, I don't want to say alive, but, you know... Like, is it sentient now? Can it do what Mogo does and generate, like... Because, I mean, you know John is going to go and land on it and look around. So will he be able to see, like, these projections of its population, you know? Yeah, that, that'll that be interesting to see. I think most likely it is sentient. Well, the, the thing is, though, Fatality had mentioned in a previous issue on how... Zanshi was not as innocent in the War of Light as John would have guessed. So we don't know what Zanshi was actually like beforehand. Zanshi may have been a, a sentient planet. True. But, uh, so, you know, like, we, we, we don't know that. We're not aware of that. Like, the very fact that 
they sent Fatality off to become a warrior for her planet was kind of an odd circumstance, and we don't really know why they would do that with, like, a woman. You know, just send her off to train with, you know, warriors and villains and stuff like that to come back and protect them. Yeah. She could be tied to this planet in some weird way that we don't know. Right. Another thing, like, when they say, like, whenever somebody says something like, oh, we did this for our planet or something like that, you always assume they mean, oh, for the population of the planet. Like, what? Oh, but, yeah. like, what if, like, oh, no, the planet's alive and wanted us to do it a favor? <laughs> Possibly. Oh, that, that character on the front page is uh, Pariah, right? On page one, yeah, that's uh, that's taken from uh, Blackest Night 2, where he's like, worlds will have died, worlds will rise, which is like, which itself is like a callback to the original Crisis. But um, the last thing I want to say about the Jon Stewart sequence here, and it's something that really speaks to his character, like, there's a lot of great Jon Stewart emotion in this. Like, the very first panel is him just utterly freaking out because he doesn't know what the hell's going on. But then, if you look... Like, look at the title page, the, the title spread. Look at him. Like, the one thing that he's... that has been giving him so much heartache and grief and agony for years is his failure to stop the destruction of this planet. <laughs> the one thing that he has tried... Like, we saw him back right after the Sinestro War. He tried with all his might to, you know, fill the void of this system... But he couldn't do it, and he has to come to terms with it. Now, out of nowhere, as if by magic, Zanji is back. And look at him, look at his face in there, he's smiling. Like, no matter what it means, no matter what happens when the reality sets in, all he knows is, like, you know, the, the results of his greatest mistake might have all of a sudden been corrected. Like, he might have a, a second shot, you know? And he is smiling. You know... Well, first off, I don't necessarily know that he's smiling. Look at him. He's smiling. Because it could just be like, well, if you look very closely, there's like a little line, and it could just be like, oh, boy, what, what happened here? No. Like, you know, like total shock. But well, whichever. We'll, we'll see that in the next issue, I think. Nah, he's smiling. But <laughs> but uh, what, what I'm looking at is that you have this black goo that's causing all the rocks to come back together. Now, what this leads me to believe is that there's a possibility that if, you know, like, uh, if the Black Lanterns, Black Lanterns are defeated, then, or, you know, or possibly, like, the Big Bad will have to recall his black goo energy or whatever, and it'll just kind of, like, slink off this planet, the planet may still be intact. So I think, like, out of everything that's being introduced as a, you know, everybody and everything that's being introduced as a Black Lantern, Zanshi, I think, has, like, the best chance of surviving this. Yeah. Hell, after Black as Night, maybe they'll give us a, uh, a Jon Stewart Green Lantern mosaic book again, and this could be the mosaic world. Oh, yeah. Or, maybe they'll give Mogo a girlfriend. Ooh! <laughs> Do, I, do we sense a little moon in their future? Wow. Hey, did you ever read... Like, I haven't read it, but I've read about it. There's, like, apparently a really old story called uh, The Planet Named Green Lantern, where, like, 
some sentient moon or something was giving birth, but it was having trouble, so Hal helped it, and it was so grateful it named its kid Green Lantern after him, and it was never addressed again. Like, people like to think, like, like well, maybe that's Mogo, but nobody, nobody ever brought it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I have heard of that, actually. I don't think I've read it either, though. Yeah. Okay, so let, let, let's get to the uh, the Zamoran scenes on the, in this issue. All right. Oh, boy. Well, I, last episode, you know, I absolutely do not like how Carol got here, but I like her now that she is here, if that makes right. any sense, because I completely disagree with why she's here. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, but you know, you read her dialogue here, her, her internal monologue, and she feels the same way, basically. <laughs> okay, so... So here's the big, like, we, we go to the page with the crystal skulls, you know, right on there. That's the, uh, the crystallized lovers. And we get, we get like two, two big pieces of information on this page alone. One is that those crystallized, you know, lovers, you know, it says right in here, you shine the light of the immortal love that was crystallized eons ago between the two unknown souls whose bodies were brought from Earth to Zamoran. So they're from Earth. We should point out, just in case anybody doesn't know, the um, the violet central battery, it's, it's basically powered by this, uh, this crystallized pair of skeletons that are, like, embracing each other, and it's just, like, this eternal sign of love, basically. Yeah. So, like... That leads us to wonder, who are they? I have two guesses. Do you have? I have only, I only have one, so I want to hear your guesses. I don't think they're going to be too out of left field here. So I think it's either going to, some, in some weird time travel-y way, it's either, go, it's going to be Hal and Carol. Or it's going to end up being like Hawkman and Hawkgirl somehow. Right. Because their whole deal is reincarnation anyway, so they probably got remains all over the damn place. Now, how long is an eon? Oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> okay, now I have to check. This, this, this is, I think, is, uh, is pretty important. Whenever I hear eon, I think of, like, like outside the scope of human civilization. Oh, wow. It's about a billion years. Huh. Okay, well, th- this is my theory, then. So, it turns out that an eon is, like, a billion years or so. So, my thought is that on Earth... Oh, wait a second. Yeah, that doesn't even make sense. That's billions of years ago. There was no humans back then. Well, what was your theory? Well, my theory was that, you know, if it was... I, I, okay. My theory is that, basically, it's, it is Hawkman and Hawkgirl. But, I don't necessarily believe that... It was Hawkman and her Hawkgirl from their Egyptian days. Because if they have, like, this, this cursed love, then it may be that their story actually happened a bunch of times before that in other lifetimes also. Oh, do you mean, like, like they also lived before ancient Egypt and got cursed then somehow too, or? Right, yes. Like, my, my thought is that, you know, basically, like, they were these, these lovers from, like, Oh, I guess it could be Adam and Eve also. I don't think they will. Well, Adam and Eve was a cursed couple. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think they'll make it 
the flout say this is Adam and Eve? Well, well, they may not flat out say that this is Adam and Eve, but they may be going for something along the lines of establishing the Hawks as the first man and woman who are somehow cursed to keep on reliving, you know, their lives over and over again. And their crystallized bodies is what eventually becomes, you know, this the source for the Zamoran's power. And then, you know, it just keeps on getting reincarnated over and over again in that same, you know, tragic love story. And eventually they also end up in Egypt. And that's as far back as they can remember. Part of me still thinks it's going to be like Hal and Carol somehow through some crazy time travel or something. Just because I would hate that. <laughs> and they seem committed to doing everything with their rela- the relationship of these two characters that I hate. So, <laughs> um, while you were looking up the Eons thing, I noticed Crib of Vora is reactivated. So, that that's definitely not her home planet that she stashes babies on. But she is from Sector 3599. Yep, that just means... She doesn't go too far from home, but it's not her home world. So, the other thing of importance on this page is they flat out say that they want Carol to be the person to take on the Predator. Yep, to be the host of the Violet Entity. Yes. I was surprised how passive they were about the fact that she's fighting the ring. They're like, yeah... They're like, well, as long as she's beating up the guys we want her to beat up, that's fine. Yeah, that wasn't really a surprise. I figured that was going to happen. Okay, so now we have Lara is going to become a Black Lantern. What do you think of that? Eh, saw it coming as soon as she died, like, last year, but... Yeah. I like how they didn't just, just out of nowhere... Well, not out of nowhere. I like they didn't just give us the... The big, hey, look at me, I'm a Black Lantern reveal here. They showed the ring go on her, but Rise is kind of like an afterthought as we flash back to the battle. Right. Tell you tell you the truth, what does interest me is I I want to know what is going through... I almost said Lara Fleas. What I want to know what is going through Atrocitus' head right now, because... I, I, hell, like the very power he started out looking for just whizzed by his face. Yeah. Yeah, and you can see it in his eye. He's like, there it is, there it is, I want it, where, the, give it, give it, there it is. And it's going to everybody but him. <laughs> Unless this is something that he had discussed with them previously. Because, you know, that's another thing that I had always kind of, you know, thought, you know, since uh, reading the Secret Origin storyline. He was so obsessed with the black power, and then he ends up just, like, basically settling for red. So you never know if, you know, basically, like, to get to the black, you know, he made a... Oh, what's the term? Blood pact kind of thing? Or a sac- Yeah, or a sacrifice, you know, to get, you know, red for now, so that everybody could get the black later. Yeah, I'm still of a mind that he didn't try to get red. It was, it was just so many things working against him that just pissed him off that much that it just happened. But, like, that's definitely, like like you said, in his eye there. Like, he knows exactly what this is. I am glad that we finally see the Alpha Lanterns doing something. <laughs> yeah. 
Not much, though. Yeah, and the Red Lanterns, man. Yeah, there's please. So, yeah, and she actually doesn't get killed. Yeah, it is interesting to see how... Because, I mean, what did we say back in Ra- the Rage special? How there were two Alpha Lanterns there. Two or three Alpha Lanterns. And we didn't get to see what happens when an Alpha Lantern fights a Red Lantern. Well, here we see Boudica can basically just, like, pick off all of them with headshots at once. Yeah. You're going to die now, and you're going to die now, and you're going to die now. I love, and the Lost Lanterns that are there, they're just kind of like, damn it, Boudica's killing people again, get her! <laughs> Boudica! Okay, so, so now, we have to go to my favorite page. My favorite page because I saw it coming, and you doubted me, and you doubted me, and yet I stuck to my convictions, and here it is, Sinestro's love is Abin Sur's sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you didn't say her, his sister. You just said, like, a member of his race. I, yeah, but come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I still say it would have been more interesting if it was really Kat Matui, but, you know, oh well. Yeah, but age-wise, that, that wouldn't work out. We don't know that. I mean, alien ages are all... there. It's a sliding scale with alien ages, come on. Now, this, this felt good to, to see. And if you notice, what color is she wearing? She's wearing purple. Yes. She's wearing violet. Well, I take it to be that she's dead. So how would that help the violet? Because I, I, I know what you're trying to get. Like, oh, she's tied to the violet lantern somehow, but she's dead. Mm, not necessarily. Like... The fact that she's in Violet just signifies the love connection to Sinestro. All right. But, you know, it, it might also have something to do with the fact that, like, we know that some Black Lanterns are going to be coming back to life. Like, it's basically just, it's a given. You know that at least some of them are not going to be Black Lanterns. They're actually going to come back to life when this whole thing is over. Give me Aquaman. That's all I ask. You're going to have Aquaman, you're going to have Martian Manhunter, and who knows who else. So, Arin Sir, who we've never seen before, you know, until now, as far as I can tell. Um, you know, she might be in, like, an older issue or something like that, but here she is, and she's in Violet. I don't know. There's a chance that they might bring her back. I do like the new element this gives to Sinestro's backstory, because, I mean, because looking back on Emerald Eclipse... You know, you got we got so much history on him and his family that we didn't know, and it left off with his. Didn't it leave off with his wife alive in that flashback that he was telling to Natu? I think so, yeah. And now it's like okay, so there's like a whole side of the story that he kept from her. So it's like now I'm wondering how did she die? Because because from the looks of this, she definitely died while he was still a Green Lantern. Yeah, yeah, that's definite. And then the other thing. It's like, where exactly did she die? Is that, like, it almost looks like either underground. It's definitely inside. Yeah, it looks like a sewer. It's either, like, in a sewer, or the other thing that I was thinking was, could it be a spaceship? Are you going to say that she was on Abin's ship now? You never know. It's a possibility. Because up here they do reference how, like, Sinatra thinks he's just, like, a little crazy, paranoid with this stuff. And that's why he started using the ship in, in general. 
Love that scene. So what do you think of the Sinestro Carol fight? Um overall it's you know, it's good. I mean, you know, a lot of the battle scenes themselves just kinda like, you know, just part of the story. I I'm way more into the, you know, them revealing, you know, who Saranic Natu's mother is, that's totally more interesting to me. Yeah. I mean I definitely think it served I think it served two really good purposes. Like, like number one, it hit you over the head with how freaking powerful Sinestro is. Like, this is a guy who, you know, I keep saying it when the when the crap hits the fan, you're gonna want to stand behind this guy. And it's displays like this that really show off why. And I think like as we get into Blackest Night and as the opponents. All the different opponents and bad guys are floating around out there that you're going to want to know that you have these this kind of character here. And second, it really, like, it delves into, into you know, the relationship between Sinestro and Carol. How, like, realistically, these characters have known each other for a very long time. And even though if it is only through their common association with Hal Jordan, they still... You know, there's there's kind of an understanding between them. Like Sinestro even flat out says, like, whereas it's something like, you know, you shouldn't be here. I've never used you to try and get to Hal. Just just get out of my way. Right. And and, and that's the whole thing. Like he's not like the big bad villain who's just trying to kill her because she's in his way. She he's telling her like, look, I've never really had a problem with you. Go home. But she doesn't. No. And then uh, a moment I alluded to earlier happens, where a big, where a black energy hand rips out a yellow lantern's heart. Now, I'm guessing that that's supposed to be Amon, sir. Yep, that's how I took it. Right. Which is odd that he would be leading the dead Sinestro Corps members. I don't know if he's necessarily the leader. Well, I mean, he's he's first and foremost. I think he's the one, he's one of those ones that we would recognize more. So, I mean, there was an entire story arc in Green Lantern dealing with him as the bad guy. Right. And also, if you notice, it kind of looks like the, uh, you know, the creatures in the background there, the resurrected weaponers of Quard. Oh, yeah. It looks like they're projecting their spears and shields with the black energy. Yeah, I didn't even catch that. Yeah, and the next panel, too. <laughs> and look, right next to Amon Sir is that dude from R- Ring Quest that got cut in half. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who is the, who's the guy, like, above him? Above Amon? Oh, yeah, the purple guy? Yeah. You know, yeah, that's, a, I don't know. I feel like I should remember him, but I don't. <laughs> we should probably remember most of these. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing I was going to point out. Like, a lot of these aliens, like, I recognize them. Even if I don't know their names, I rec- like, like this one right above Sinestro's head with the eye in its mouth. That, yeah. like, I remember seeing that guy in crowd shots all over the place. Oh my god, you know what I just realized? What? They killed that Sinestro core snake, like the giant space snake. Oh dear god. <laughs> oh my oh god. Oh my god. I forgot all about that. It could team up with Zanshi. <laughs> That's a... Oh, my God. God damn it, Sodom. <laughs> Get out of the sun, you jerk, and deal with this. 
So over to uh, Odom with the orange lanterns trying to steal the uh, the blue power battery. Yeah, I didn't see that coming at all. Yeah, no, me neither. It makes so much more sense than them just trying to like take a ring or something new. Yeah. Um, one thing that I didn't really like was like I mean like aside from how Larfleet is, is drawn from the side, Said has hair. Oh yeah. She's Isn't supposed, she to, be supposed bald. to be bald. Yeah. Yeah. And if you look at her, she's got a Green Lantern emblem on her chest. Yeah. What's up with that? I th- I think it was just like one of those like last minute details or something. But and like there there's the Saint Walker image I was talking about before where it just doesn't look right. Right. I do like how um there's nothing dead on the surface of of uh, Odom, so the black rings are just kind of hovering, <laughs> waiting for someone to die. <laughs> <laughs> kind of stupid how the blue lanterns are just kind of like standing there, hanging out. Uh, Ganthet's having his own little, little crisis of hope because he's like he he knows, and this is a big point for me because like like something like we've read a lot of Blackest Night issues so far, and. Something I have to keep reminding myself is that, yeah, it's it's still the beginning of the story. And we still know a lot more than the characters do. Because <laughs> this right here, this is the very first moment that Ganthet realizes, oh crap, Blackest Night is happening right now. Yeah. And the Black Rings storm Okara. And we're going to have the greatest thing ever. Two versions of Glomulus running around. <laughs> You know, this says that Greddy was from Okara. Huh. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, I didn't know that. Me either. I thought he was just from somewhere in the sector, next to the sector. Yeah. Eh, whatever works. It's a weird-looking guardian there. Looks awesome. I like the little bone fingers. <laughs> I, I have to say, like, when Larflees is drawn straight on, he looks a lot better. Definitely. I think his, this is like the moment of the issue too, where he's just like freezes in places like uh oh. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 not even uh oh, it's uh oh. He looks like he's got a pee. That makes it even better. Ah <laughs> uh, yes. Oh man, this is that was a really good, really really good, good double page spread, and you even get a little look at uh, Lissa Lissa Dark or Lissa Drax. Lissa Drax. Tracks. Yeah, yeah. She's she apparently like, like Scar shoved her into the book of the black, and you know she can she's still alive in there. She can move around through the pages and behind the words and stuff. Yeah, so she can see that. That's basically I think the four inversions coming back to life as black lanterns in front of the uh, red lantern power battery. You know what I'm waiting for, and this is I should have mentioned it earlier. Um. We saw black ring, like black rings, were coming to um, uh, Zamoron, and the knee-jerk reaction is, well, yeah, they're going to uh, revive people that are dead in the fight between the two cores going on there. And you know, I can't take credit for this. Someone on the forum pointed it out. What's at the center of the violet battery? Right. Two dead people. <laughs> yeah. Well. I guess the only thing is, like, since they're crystallized bodies, how would the rings go on them? Well, that's, I assume they could bust through. Well, that's that's like what I was... I, I noticed that, 
And I think it would be rather interesting if that was kind of like a sticking point. Like, the ring wouldn't be able to revive them because they're like, they're in an embrace and they're made out of crystal. So, I mean, you know, their hands are like clutching each other. It's almost like, you know, like with a dead body, the hands are kind of like free for the rings to kind of swoop on. But with this, I don't know, like there's a possibility that they won't be able to get to it because of that. I don't know, because I want to say, like, I would say that, like, maybe the fact that they're generating such sheer emotional power that, that, like, it might stave it off, but I really think that since the point of all these cores is that no one emotion, no matter how much of it you have, is enough to fight back death, like, I, like, I don't think these would be immune. Uh, we'll see. Uh, wait a second. Are there actually black rings going to Zamoron? Yeah, there are. In, um, if you look back at 44, that, uh, that vignette splash. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, it's the one. It's right there. Zamoron. Right. Well, yeah, that's a lot of rings, so, yeah, we'll see. And art-wise, I think this was really solid. Definitely. Like, again, the kicked ass, or can I say ass? Kick butt on the on all of the splash pages and two pages two page spreads, all of the smaller art I think looked fine. It was it was just really good. And we got to see I think this is our first instant instance of seeing um uh someone lit up with two different emotional colors in a dead vision. Because Sinestro, after he sees that uh that sapphire induced vision of his of his wife well, yeah, actually, um, in uh, Blackest Night Superman, that came out just before this. That happens in there, too. Oh, okay. Well, that does make sense, though, because here the percentages are bigger. But yeah, Sinestro is full of rage and fear at the same time, which completely makes sense. But, yeah, very, very good issue. I have to say, there was such a tiny... Like, there was exactly two pages three, technically, of Green Lantern in this issue, and I didn't care. I didn't miss it, you know? No, no, definitely not. There's there's so much else going on. If they, you know, don't do much with Green Lantern, you know, you have so much else to focus on. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, and Hal, except for one construct Sinestro made, Hal was completely not in this at all. Like, Carol refers to him a couple times, that's it. It, like, the only Green Lantern here was Jon Stewart. And I'm like, that's really cool. It's like, this is what they should be doing. Like, flesh out the other characters that are going to be important to this story. So, I'm thinking we should take our second break and then come back and get your thoughts on Blackest Night number two and close out the episode. Okay? All right, let's do it. Okay, we'll be right back.
that you would like to share. Yeah, I mean, I almost feel like there's not a lot to say about the issue, because I think it's pretty straightforward. I mean, I absolutely want an Aquaman ongoing series by Jeff Johns after all this is over. I'm telling you that right now. He's just, he's a character I've always wanted. Yeah, yeah, Aquaman's the kind of character that I feel like, in order for a book to succeed, they have to put a creative team on it that just... Like, people can't resist. Like, get a writer that has a large fan base. Get an artist that people def- love to look at. You know, and if you have a Jeff Johns written Aquaman book, it will sell. So, like, I would love to see them take that approach, at least at the beginning. Um, because the biggest thing that jumped out at me was the whole thing with Dove, with uh, the rings, the Black Rings trying to get to him. Right. And they couldn't. And... I had thought, like, okay, what what's up with this? What does this mean? What is is this a huge clue to something? Should we be analyzing this? And then, like, the very next day, I saw an interview on um, 
I forget where it is. Some some comic site that's not Newsarama, where they flat out ask Jeff Johns, okay, is this is this something about Dove specifically, or is this something that speaks to the nature of the rings? And he said, no, no, it's something about Dove. So I'm like, oh, okay. So there's not really anything I can speculate to there. Um, well, until we get to uh, our next, not our next episode, but the next episode that we start reviewing again, in which case we have the first issues of the three miniseries, Blackest Night Superman, Blackest Night Batman, and Blackest Night Titans. Yeah. Yes, yes. See, I'm just thumbing through the issue. I The first time I read it, I thought the Spectre scene was really just kind of, what? What the hell? But now, looking back on it again, I kind of like it, because it's, it's, you would think, like, okay, the Spectre's here, he's gonna do some mumbo-jumbo magical whammy and, and do something, because that's what he does. He shows up during a huge crisis, and he does something cosmic. But the the rings, like, magic, is it means nothing to these black rings. And I kind of like that. I kind of like how it was able to take Crispus Allen and take the Spectre off the table, just because, I mean, how do people refer to death? They call it, like, a lot of people call death the great equalizer. Because no matter who you are, you know, you can't stop death from getting you. So, like, that makes sense to me, that it took the Spectre. Right, um, yeah. And I really like how they kind of, they almost indirectly did this too, but they took care of one of the big zombie conventions right here where, um, you know, if I ask you, like, how do you kill a zombie? What are you going to tell me? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Shotgun? Well, yeah, but more specifically, you know, shoot them in the head. Okay. And here you have Mira, she plunges her her trident through, I think it's Dolphin's head, no, Aqua Girl's head, it's through somebody's head. And you think, okay, that's one down. But no, the black ring fires up and regrows her head. So it's like, okay, these guys can't be taken out in anything remotely close to the way you would normally take out a zombie in any other work of fiction. Right. So I thought that that actually serves to make them more dangerous, you know? True enough. Um... How about your thoughts on the atom? The atom, yeah, it made. I didn't think about it. I just assumed, oh, there goes Ray. But you know, when you said, like, I listened to the episode. Oh, there's a spider web in my hair. <laughs> okay. I walked through one earlier. I thought I got it. Oh God. All right, whatever. Um, it definitely makes sense to me that, like, well, if he's small, how the hell are they going to get his heart? And I did look back on that last page to see, like, well, can I see some hint of him? But I can't, so... And I, I, I assume he's not dead. Um, and the whole dead man thing? Like, I feel like this was... Like, okay. I was really... I was kind of disappointed once I processed this scene in my head. Because, I mean, you know me. My whole thing is, like, I think it makes for a much more interesting story if... When a character, when a good character does bad things, it's at least partially because they chose to, and not because, well, they were being controlled or mind controlled or they weren't themselves or whatever. Like, I'm, I'm one of those people who, you know, over on the Marvel side, I love the idea of Jean Grey Phoenix as long as Jean Grey is the one in the driver's seat, you know? And like, the whole Haldor and Parallax, 
like I I hope to God I'm right about my interpretation of rebirth. Like like he was still making his own choices because otherwise it's a completely crappy story. But here, I didn't realize it at first because I like 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 the dead man panel where his body rises up. Right. At first, I thought that was his spirit transforming somehow because it looks like it comes out of his spirit kind of thing. But you've got his his core his his skeleton rising as a black lantern independent of his spirit right which pretty much tells you straight up okay the black lanterns are not that like they are the, the people they look like but they're not you know and if if boston brand spirit is still somewhere then probably you know aquaman spirit is floating around somewhere too but you see like that's just it like we don't know that for a fact yet because with uh, with Dead Man, his spirit is independent of his his body, so you know his spirit is not in the same place that you know everybody else's spirit is. Like you know Aquaman and Martian Manhunter and everybody else, like when they die, it could very well be that they go to you know some sort of limbo place or whatever, some place where. You know, whoever's animating these Black Lanterns can, you know, has access to their spirits. With uh, with Dead Man, though, since his spirit is, you know, it's it's off on its own, then maybe this is a unique instance, in which case, you know, like now Dead Man's body is just a puppet for the, you know, whoever's leading everything. You know, we we don't we don't know that for sure yet. Yeah, it did lead me to a theory though, and it's it's something that that Dead Man might be key to, and it's also something that you know I've almost heard from a bunch of people, but I feel like they're kind of dancing around this last step. You know, it it occurs to me like okay, if the the spirits are separate from the bodies, if if the Black Lanterns literally are just you know, the big bad playing remote control cars with the these people's corpses and their spirits, souls, whatever, are out there somewhere in some form. People have been trying to figure out, alright, is there is there a white lantern that's gonna come out of this? Is there you know, who would be the white lantern? If there's a white lantern, what if that, you know, since the, their bodies are the black lanterns, what if it's the souls, the spirits of these people that are going to be the White Lantern Corps. Like, what if Dead Man, in his unique situation, is able to, like, to try and... F- Lead the dead? Yeah, to try and fix this, he he can, like, kind of cross into where they are and bring at least some of them back. And I don't know how they would go about it, but, like, something about the process of coming back in the form they're in, like, like just feel... Like, I, I, I can't really explain it, but, like, you know what I'm getting at? Like, like the souls themselves yeah. would be the White Lanterns, and their bodies are the Black Lanterns. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, that That's an idea. <laughs> I'm not really sure. I I can't say for certain. I, I'm not sure how I feel about that one way or another. Yeah, because, I mean, Dead Man, it seems... I mean, like, the whole Dead Man thing seems like, okay, it might be cool, because we have people coming back from the dead and that's the basis of our event and we have a character who 
you know, he died and he's been walking around anyway, so let's throw him in there for a panel or a page or something. But, yeah, we get, he gets this short scene in Blackest Night 2, and then he's, he's, he's a big focus. Again, again, we'll talk about it soon, but he's a big focus of Blackest Night Batman, at least for the first issue. So, I mean, it seems like this, it seems like they're, they're playing his character like he's going to be more important down the road. I think so, definitely. And like, what makes him, what makes him so unique? Well, he can, he kind of crosses the border of between like living and dead. If they wanted to bring souls back, he might be able to go and get them. True enough. And, yeah, I think that's pretty much all I got. So we done? I think we're done. Oh, I just saw this. This isn't in the comic. Uh, in my DCBS shipment, the most recent one, I got a little note card advertising the first annual Long Beach Comic Con on October 2nd through the 4th. It's at the Long Beach Convention Center. You can go to www.longbeachcomiccon.com. The reason I bring it up is that on the back, the guest list have people like Jeff Loeb, Jeff Johns, Philip Tan, Dustin, I don't know how to say that last name. Naguya? Yeah, Steve Niles, Jeff Scott Campbell, Jimmy Palmiotti, Amanda Connor, and Peter Tomasi. So there's a lot of Black as Night people on here, a lot of Green Lantern people on here. So, you know, go for it. Go check out Long Beach Comic Con. I, I, you know, I'm realizing now I don't actually know where Long Beach is. Isn't it California? It probably is. It, there's palm trees on the postcard, so it's probably somewhere down there. Or over there. Or under there. It could be Florida. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, boy. Go to a beach and look for comic books. Just ask people on the street, are you Jeff Johns? Oh, and on that note. <laughs> so if you want to contact us, <laughs> oh, man, <laughs> that's uh, lanterncast at gmail.com. You can find us on our message board. <laughs> We've never done this before. <laughs> Thecomicforums.com. Scroll down to L for LanternCast. That's us. And we have a Twitter. Wait, no, we don't. We have Facebook. We have a Facebook page. Please join our Facebook page. If you go to our website, LanternCast.com, which also has a link. Oh, we have that too. Yeah, that also has a link to our forums, but the, it also has a link to our Facebook page. So go to our website, check out our Facebook page, become our friend. If you need to sign up to Facebook to become our friend, do it. We want as many Facebook fans as possible. You won't stop talking about it. Just do please, it. Please, please, I won't stop talking about it. I'm not even talking about it on the air. He just he keeps texting me, being like, we almost have enough. We almost have enough. It's true. I Yeah, for every person that joins our Facebook page... I get point zero one percent energy. Uh, <laughs> so go out and kill your friends. No, wait, no. What, what, what was this for? <laughs> tell your friends. Yeah, tell your friends to join up Facebook. Yeah, we're on iTunes too. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> we have emails: lanterncast at gmail dot com or jim at lanterncast dot com or dan at lanterncast dot com or Jason at lanterncast.com. Yeah, so, uh, and I'm Dan, I go by Gland on the forums, he's Jim, he's Choanada, <laughs> and, uh, I guess, are you awake? Barely.
Alright, well, good night, everybody. <laughs> good night. down it'll be like 10 minutes <laughs> hell now nowadays when we put out a half hour long episode people are like that was good even though it was kind of short <laughs> seriously they want the length damn it <laughs> hey it's not the size it's the quality which is why we're trying to overcompensate with size <laughs> <laughs> this is a really really long episode our fans will love it <laughs> oh god <laughs>